What happens if the extraordinary becomes ordinary? I was serving as pastor in Florida, and there was a particular church building in our city that was this beautiful, old-looking sort of cathedral on the inside of it, this is a Baptist church uh, there in the city. This, uh, they, there was this man who was very wealthy that wanted to build this cathedral. And so it, lo- it looks and, and feels like you're in Europe when you're inside of this building. And so because of that, it's a very, very, very popular wedding venue. Uh, so lots of people want to go to this church building uh, and, be, and be married. And so I did several weddings while I was there as pastor in this, in this particular building. But what's unfortunate about this beautiful uh, building on the inside is, is that it's dead. There are very few people that go to church there to worship on Sundays. Uh, and long ago, this church has abandoned the scriptures and abandoned the truthfulness of scripture. Uh, and they are way off uh, from the Bible. And so basically, it's a wedding chapel at this point. And so I was there for a particular wedding. And while they were doing the, the, um, the rehearsal uh, the night before, I'm standing there off to the side. And I noticed behind me the baptistry. And so I wanted to, to check out this baptistry and see what was going on inside this baptistry. Because like I mentioned, this is a Baptist church. And so I, I, I peeked behind and I look into the baptistry and I was so discouraged by what I saw. There was probably an inch of dust inside of this baptistry. And not only was there dust inside of it, there was trash inside of this baptistry, which lets me know that people haven't looked in there in a long, long time uh, inside of this baptistry, and they certainly hadn't turned the water on in a long, long time inside of this baptistry. And what I want you to understand is that that should not be ordinary. That should not be ordinary, that we have a church of the living God who never turns the water on. Like, people ought to be getting wet at church. Like, I ought to be wearing my bathing suit at church a lot because we're baptizing people. Now, Southern Baptist statistics would show us that around half of Southern Baptist churches in the United States baptize zero people a year. About half. And so, according to st- statistics, that's sort of ordinary for Southern Baptist churches that they would baptize nobody in a year. But what I'm telling you is it's not supposed to be ordinary. Now, as we come to this new series this morning that's called Ordinary, we're going to look at Acts chapter 2 and the start of the New Testament church. And a lot of times when people look at the start of the New Testament church, they see all these incredible things that are happening. They see how God is moving among this people, and they go, that's extraordinary. That's incredible. Look at all these things that are happening. And we always point back to Acts chapter 2 and say, wow, that was awesome I wish that church was like that. That's what church is supposed to be like. That's, uh, that's the conversations that people have. And we look at that as this special occasion in the history of the church 
which it obviously was. It was obviously a time that, that God was doing incredible things. It's obviously special because it's the, the beginning of the church. But I believe that that's what it's supposed to be like. I believe that that's what ordinary church ought to be. Because if God reveals himself to us in his word, this is how we know God, this is how we, we understand who he is and what he's done and what he wants for us to do. And so if the word of God is how he speaks to us, and this is how he introduced his church to us, why would he do it in such a way that we were never supposed to do that again? I believe he's showing us as the church what's ordinary. And so today we come to Acts chapter 2 and Jesus had just spent three years tracing the blueprint of what the disciples ought to be doing as they were walking with him and, and listening to him teach and observing him as he's interacting with people. We call it the discipleship journey. And then at the end of this three-year period, Jesus was arrested, he was crucified, he was buried, he was raised from the dead, he ascended to heaven, and he gave his disciples his Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, the New Testament church would put into practice all the things that they had learned. They immediately began, began to do what Jesus had told them to do, to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. They immediately began to do that. And what I want us to understand is this is ordinary for the church. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I ask you to stand in honor of God's Word if you're able Today we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. We're going to read verses 41 through 47. The Word of God says, So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as that any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Thank you. You may be seated. So the action step for today, as you hear this sermon about baptism being ordinary, the action step for today is to obey the Lord by being baptized. I know that there are people all over this sanctuary this morning who have never taken that step to be baptized before. And I want you today to hear what the Word of God says about baptism and respond to how the Holy Spirit works in your heart. If you've already made that step of obedience in your life, then I want for you today to consider inviting someone to repent and to believe and to be baptized. Because we want baptism to be ordinary. The first thing that we see in this passage of Scripture 
about baptism is that baptism is about acceptance. It's about accepting the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In verse 41, we're going to focus on verse 41 today. In verse 41, the word says, those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day about 3,000 people were added to them. And so this account of the New Testament church follows the first Christian sermon that was delivered by Peter on the day at Pentecost. After the disciples had received the Holy Spirit in the upper room, we find him going out and he stands and he proclaims the gospel to the crowds that had come there to Jerusalem for the festival. He explained to them how Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament hopes and promises, that Jesus is the Messiah that they were looking for. If you look there in verse 36 through 39 of Acts chapter 2, this is what he says in the sermon. He says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, And when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And so the good news of the kingdom was proclaimed there in Jerusalem, and the people were convicted. They were pierced to the heart, it says. They knew that they had sinned against the Lord. He says, this this Jesus whom you crucified, the Lord has made him both, both Messiah and Lord. He says that they were pierced to the heart. They knew that they had sinned against God, and they needed this Savior that Peter was proclaiming. And I want us to know this morning and notice how they were pierced to the heart, how they were responding to the message, to the proclamation of the word, and they were acting upon it. What should we do, they asked. And I want you to know that that's ordinary, that when you are convicted by the word of God, that you respond. It is not ordinary to sit and hear the word of God proclaimed and to be convicted by the word of God and to do nothing about it. And the more that you do that, the harder that your heart will become and the softer the voice of God will be in your life. So what should they do, they asked. Peter could have given any answer at that point. They had just heard the gospel. They were convicted. They were pierced to the heart. What should we do? Peter could have said, say three Hail Marys. Peter could have said, go climb the highest mountain. Peter could have said, go do some good works. But what did he say? He says you need to repent and be baptized. To repent means to change one's mind, to do a U-turn, to turn your life and your heart and your allegiance, to denounce your old life of sin and follow Jesus as Lord in your life, to accept this good news and believe it in your heart, this good news that Jesus died and rose again to save us from our sins. 
This is what he said in the sermon in Acts 2, verses 22 through 24. Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. And though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. He's saying that Jesus has conquered death, that Jesus has raised from the dead. This is our hope, and this is what we are putting our faith in. He says that we have to receive this gift of salvation from the Lord. And once someone trusted in Jesus for salvation, the next step of obedience to God is to be baptized. That's what he tells them to do. He tells them to repent and to be baptized. That is ordinary Christianity. I can remember when I was a senior in high school, I've shared my testimony many times here before, that I made a decision to trust in Jesus as the Lord and Savior of my life. I grew up as a pastor's son in a pastor's home, going to church uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, lots of other nights. I was there more than most people in the church ever thought about going to church. And so I was there all the time. And so I knew all this stuff about the Bible. I had made a decision as a, as a younger child. This is my testimony. I'd made a decision as a younger child. I was baptized then. But as I got older and as I became a, a, a senior in high school, I realized and was convicted and pierced to the heart that I was not saved. That although I knew a lot about the Bible, and maybe I'd taken a step in understanding what Jesus had done for me as a child, I knew that in my life that, it, uh, that I had never put my faith in Christ and that I had never, uh, ch- my life had not changed. There was no fruit of the Holy Spirit in my life at that point. And so I knew that I needed to put my faith in Jesus. And so I came forward during uh, an invitation and a, and a service And I prayed and I trusted in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of my life. And you know what I did after that? I got baptized. Because that's what ordinary Christianity is. I had been baptized as a younger child. So why did I need to do it again? Because the first time I had just got in the bathtub at church. But this time I was proclaiming to the church what God had really done in my life. That's what baptism is. And so baptism is this act of obedience following your acceptance of the gospel in a person's heart. And everyone's spiritual experience will be different. That was mine. But if you were to ask Dr. Al Mohler, who's the president of our Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, his testimony is that he trusted in Christ as a young boy about age five and was baptized and became a believer at that young age. I've baptized senior adults who came to faith in Christ at a much later point in their lives. And so God works in our lives at different places, different stages, different ages. It doesn't all have to be the same. And sometimes you'll have pastors who'll say, unless you know the exact moment and the exact place and you wrote it down, the date and time in your Bible, then you're not really saved. That's not true. That's not true. 
I don't know the exact date that I got baptized. I might could figure it out if I went back in a calendar, but I don't know what the date was. But I know when I made this decision to trust in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of my life. So what's important is that, is that you know that you have trusted in Jesus. And so it could have been a, a radical transformation in the person's life, maybe they were living this wayward lifestyle and they were about to bust hell wide open and, and, and God radically changed them like he did in Saul's life in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. But it might have been that as a child you acknowledged your sin and you put your trust in Jesus and your faith in him like a child. And you hadn't, you know, started doing drugs at age six or anything like that, you know. It doesn't ha- the testimony doesn't have to be the same. But our testimonies will all include the same hope. That I once was lost, but now I'm found. That I was blind, but now I see. I once was in sin, but I've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And he's my Savior, and he's my Lord, he's my hope, he's my salvation. And this is not done when a person is born. Because you can't make a conscious decision to follow Jesus at that point. What we find in the New Testament is that it always follows repentance and belief. And so we don't baptize by immersion as a believer because we're Baptists. We baptize by immersion as a believer because it's biblical. What we find here in Acts 2 is those who accepted his message, were baptized. And there might be some here this morning who need to make that same decision, who have been pierced to the heart, who have heard that Jesus is the Savior, that he is the Lord. And today you want to receive this gift in your heart, that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for your sins, the things that you have done wrong in your life, That he was raised from the dead to be your life, to be your salvation, to be your hope. That might be the decision that you need to make today. To put your trust in him and then to be baptized. So we see it's about acceptance. Secondly, I want us to notice that baptism is about identity. Verse 41, he says, those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. We can't minimize the fact that all of these people were baptized in a very public way in the city of Jerusalem on that day. Because to be baptized was a significant act in their culture. They were making a statement. I mean, who are all these people that are being baptized? They were the Jews that were there to for the festival celebration. So these are all Jews that are there in Jerusalem. And when they are being baptized on this day, they are saying, I am leaving Judaism behind, and now I am a follower of Jesus. This is a significant statement that they are making this day in Jerusalem. They were there to celebrate the festival of weeks. And so these are not just Jews by, by culture, they're practicing Jews. I mean, they're there to celebrate a festival in Jerusalem. 
the Festival of Weeks. And this festival was tied to the Passover, which had occurred back several weeks prior, right before Easter and the resurrection, right? They were there for the Passover then. And starting from Passover, the Jews would count seven weeks. And after the end of the seventh week, that's when this festival took place. And this festival was linked to the wheat harvest there in Israel. And it commemorated the giving of the Torah to Moses in the wilderness. And so these two festivals were tied together. Of course, the Passover was about how the, the Lord passed over those that had put blood of the Passover lamb on their doorposts. And they fled from Egypt. They escaped from Egypt and from Pharaoh and from slavery. And seven weeks later, the Lord gave Moses the law as they were there in the wilderness. And so these two festivals are tied together. And all of this is important in the timing of what God is revealing to his people at this moment. That Passover was about the deliverance from Egypt. Seven weeks later, Moses is given the law. Now, what Jesus is showing us here in the Gospels and in the book of Acts is that Jesus is the Passover Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and delivers us from death. And then, a few weeks later, at this festival of weeks, God pours out his Holy Spirit. And it's fulfilling what was said in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 33. He says, look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, even though I am their master, the Lord's declaration. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. The Lord's declaration. I will put my covenant I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. He'll put it in them and write it on their hearts. How did he do that? By giving us his Holy Spirit. So on the day that they remembered the giving of the first covenant, God establishes the new covenant. On the day that they were celebrating the harvest, God gives them the first harvest of the church. And so for these men and women who were in town to celebrate this Jewish festival, God was revealing himself in a powerful way to them. They were connecting all of these dots, and they couldn't deny it. And so they were pierced to the heart, and they were giving their lives to Christ. They were leaving everything else behind to follow after Jesus. They would have come there in Jerusalem to the Temple Mount, And we have a picture here of of the temple. These are the southern steps that would go up to the top of the temple mount. And there at the top is where Solomon's portico was located. That's the place where all the money changers tables were, where they would get all of their uh, sacrifices to be made. That's where Jesus flipped the tables there at the top of these steps as you got to the top. And so this was a, a place where many people went up to go to worship there in Jerusalem. And so you go, okay, well, after the disciples receive the Holy Spirit in the upper room and they go and Peter preaches this sermon, where does he find over 3,000 people? Here. This is where over 3,000 people were 
that were coming with this festival to come and to worship the Lord. And so here you find him preaching the sermon on Pentecost on these southern steps that led up to the Temple Mount. And so all the people are pierced as, they, as he's saying, this Jesus is the Messiah. What should we do? You should repent and you should be baptized. And so they're putting their faith in Jesus as the Lord of their life. And now it's time for them all to be baptized. Well, where do you do that? This is on top of a mountain. Where are you going to find water for, to do that? And all of these mikvahs that are all around. You see these little squares to the right of the stairs. All these little squares. These are Jewish cleansing pools. Where you would go in and you would cleanse yourself. So that you would be prepared to go up and to offer your sacrifices there on the temple mount. There are dozens of them all over the place. Right outside of the temple. And so... Here's all these natural baptistries everywhere around. And so they were being baptized in a very public place, right in front of everybody that's coming up to worship. And they are declaring that Jesus is the Messiah and that Jesus has saved me and I am giving my life to follow after him. They would have washed themselves every time before they went up to offer sacrifices to God, but now they're being baptized to symbolize how Jesus had washed them clean from their sins and they would never have to do it again. And so baptism is this proclamation that I am something new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. And that's the symbol of baptism. As one stands in the water, it's a picture of their old life before they knew Christ. And that person is dunked beneath the water, is a picture of them dying to their old self and being buried underneath the water. But as I like to say, no one stays underneath the water right? We pull them back up out of the water. And that's a picture of them being raised up to new life, being born again as a follower of Jesus. And when someone is baptized, they are stating that this is what God has done in my heart. I am doing a physical depiction of what has happened spiritually inside of me. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 5 says, Are you unaware that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we'll certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection." And so when a person is, is being baptized, they are publicly identifying with Christ, with his death, with his resurrection, saying he is our Savior, he is our hope. You might have known John before, but he's a new guy now. And there are people all over who are making this confession, saying, I have trusted in Christ as the Lord as the Savior of my life, and I'm being baptized to make this confession. Since the beginning of this year, over 1,000 people have been baptized at Long Hollow Baptist Church in Hendersonville, Tennessee. At Bethlehem Baptist Church in Bethlehem, Georgia, they've baptized over 150 individuals in just the last few weeks. 
And what I'm saying is that these stories should not be extraordinary. It's the most ordinary thing that a church could do. Like these stories should be the stories that all the churches are telling. That people are coming to faith in Christ and they're being baptized because God is at work. And there might be some here this morning who need to declare that new identity in Christ. There's a third thing that I want us to notice about baptism being ordinary here. That it's about entry. Baptism is about entry. Verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day about 3,000 people were added to them. Baptism is the means by which someone becomes a part of the church. It says they were added to them after baptism. Who was the them? It was the disciples. It was the church at that point. And so a person is not part of the church unless they're born again. This doctrine has historically been known as regenerate church membership, that you you receive church membership once you are regenerated, once you are born again. And baptism is the public witness of this interchange in your life. You're announcing to the church, I'm one of you guys now. This is what God has done in my life. I have been born again. I've been regenerated. I've been made new by the Holy Spirit of God. And I want you to know. And I am I'm committed to this. Pastor J.D. Greer says, baptism is like the wedding ring of salvation. I put on my wedding ring at the moment that I decided to publicly declare my commitment to my wife. But putting on the ring did not make me married. I'm no more married when I wear my ring than when I don't. But the demonstration of my commitment to my wife that the ring represents was a crucial first step in marriage. Had I refused to do it, my wife would have had reason to question my intentions. In the same way, baptism is an outward symbol of an inward covenant that we've made in response to Jesus' offer of salvation. It's us saying, hey, I'm in it. I'm one of you guys. And new Christians were brought into the local church after baptism all throughout the book of Acts. Acts 8, 12. When they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Acts 8, verse 38. He ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Acts chapter 9, verse 18. At once, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized. Acts chapter 10, verse 47 through 48. Can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked him to stay for a few days. Acts 16, verses 14 and 15, a God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. And after she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come stay at my house. And she persuaded us. This is the pattern of the New Testament. And it ought to be the pattern in our lives as well. I could share stories of new believers in 
in a Muslim country who go down to the Red Sea to be baptized. I could share stories of believers in Southeast Asia being baptized in a river as their neighbors are looking on. I could share stories of of new believers in Asia who were being baptized in the bathtub in their apartment. I could share stories of believers um, in in, uh, Central Asia who are who are going to the coast and being baptized with, with a big cross across their chest. And in all of these instances, these people would face immediate persecution for what they were doing. Immediate persecution. They would face rejection from their families. They would face loss of their jobs or their positions in the community because they were doing this. And you go, well, why would they do it then? That's the question that Americans would ask. Why would they do that then? Why would they risk it? Because they wanted to be obedient to the word of God. Because they wanted to identify with the church. And because baptism is important. And baptism is important for you as well. Baptism doesn't save you, but it lets the world know that you are saved. As you come into the church out in the atrium, you see those 2025 vision goals. And one of them is that we would baptize 100 individuals every single year. And that's a goal that we want to see accomplished. Frankly, I want to blow by that goal. I think if I think if we were serious about sharing the gospel, then we would easily get by that goal. But we want to see baptism to be ordinary. That every week when you come, you expect that the waters are going to be stirred. That's ordinary. And so there may be some here this morning who need to trust in Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. Just as these as these Jews that were there in the city on that day heard the gospel and they were pierced to the heart and said, what must we do? Maybe today you have heard this good news that Jesus loves you and that he wants to save you and that that he desires a relationship with you. And you're right now pierced to the heart. The Holy Spirit is convicting you in your life and you are saying, what must I do? Repent and believe. Be baptized. That's what we're calling you to do today. In a minute, we're going to have a time of response. There's going to be leaders all across the front. And if this is a decision that you want to make, then I want to encourage you to come and to say to one of these leaders, I'm ready to follow after Jesus today. It might be the first time you've ever been in this building, or you might have been coming here since you were a little child. But today you know that you need to make this decision to trust in Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. Then you come and you share that with one of these leaders today. There may be some who have made a decision to trust in Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life before, but you've never been baptized, or you've never been baptized as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Once you've made this decision to trust in him as the Lord and Savior of your life, you've never been baptized as a public witness of that. And today you say, I've never really taken that that step of obedience, but today I I realize that this is what the Bible says we ought to do. 
that this is what's ordinary, that this is the pattern that we find all throughout the New Testament, and I want to be obedient to the Word of God. And so maybe you need to come and share with one of these leaders that I'm ready to be baptized. I want to encourage you to come. Christians, this morning, we want to pray that baptism would be ordinary at our church. And so maybe you want to come and spend some time in this altar praying or there at your seat praying. I read all these stories about all these other churches where all these people are being baptized, these places across the world where all these people are being baptized. I want to read stories about Wallace Memorial Baptist Church where that's happening. Why not Wallace? Why not? So let's pray to the Lord of the harvest to do that here at our church and to do that through us as we are heralds of the good news of the kingdom of God. So maybe you want to spend some time at this altar in prayer today that the Lord would work in such a way at this church. But however God is speaking to your heart today, now is the time for us to be doers of this word and not just hearers only. Let's stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. God, we give you thanks this day for your word Lord, for the example that we see in the New Testament church, that 3,000 people were baptized on that day. God, we see something like that and we go, wow, that's extraordinary. But God, I pray that it would be ordinary. I pray that it would be ordinary that we see people being baptized in all of our services every week that we gather. So God, We pray that you would move like that. Lord, that you would use us like that. God, I pray for any that are here this morning that have never made that decision to trust in you as their Lord and Savior, that today would be the day as they're pierced to the heart that they would respond in obedience to your leading in their life. They'd put their faith in Jesus this day. Or for those that, that know that they need to be baptized, Lord, that today would be the day that they would respond in obedience. They would do what you've told us to do in your word. And so God, move during this time, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.